0: Sprinter Yulia Balikina represented Belarus in the 2012 Summer Olympics in London. Two years later, she went missing. When we come back, I'll take a closer look at the tragic death of Yulia Balikina, unravel a curse, share the life story of an Olympic runner whose life inspired three films, and pay tribute to an athlete whose life was cut short by terrorists. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Last Word, the true life podcast that asks, what's the significance of a person's dying words and their impact on those left behind? I'm your host, Sarah Faith. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Vocal. Be sure to check out the show notes for those links. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone else who may enjoy it. This season, I continue profiling gifted individuals who died before 40, did their extraordinary athletic gifts, place them on a path of early demise? In the previous episode, I shared some interesting statistics about the pressure of being a professional athlete and how pro-athletes have a separate life expectancy rate from the general public. As always, these topics can be dark and disturbing and may not be suitable for young or sensitive listeners. Yulia Balikina was born April 12, 1984, in Mongolia. She competed on a multinational level and won. In 2012, she represented Belarus's women's track and field team in London. Belarus took home 12 medals. A year later, she hit a snag in her career with a doping violation. She worked as a children's sports coach during her two year ban from athletics. One can imagine what plans Yulia had for herself when she was free to compete again in July 2014. Her loved ones and her nation would never have the chance to see her compete again. October 28, 2015, Yulia went missing. A search of her car and home by investigators turned up, quote, traces which together with other collected materials indicate a murder has been committed, unquote. Police arrested her ex-boyfriend, identified only as Dimitri V. He confessed to murdering her but could not recall where he dumped the body. Extensive daily searches of the area near her Minsk home included 300 soldiers and her former teammates. About two weeks later, her body was discovered, discarded in a wooded area near her home, wrapped in cellophane and concealed with moss. Yulia's friend spoke to her about her safety and fears when she wanted to end her relationship with her boyfriend. She came to my office and told me what Dimitri had said. He said, if you break up with me, I will do something that I'll go to jail for. I have no quotes or final words from Yulia. She was only 31. Long distance runner and Oregon native Steve Prefontaine is... Is a legend in the world of running. In 1972, he attended the Summer Olympics in Munich. He came in fourth in the 5,000-meter run. Steve could run a mile in less than four minutes. He was recruited by over 40 colleges. He chose to remain in his home state and attend the University of Oregon. Head coach Bill Bowerman said that Steve was a highly talented athlete. He was certain that Steve would become the world's greatest distance runner. It was not long before Steve was a local celebrity. The crowds chanted, pre, pre, as their hometown hero blazed by. As a joke, fans wore t-shirts that read, stop, pre. Steve enjoyed the joke and accepted a shirt from a fan. He wore it for a victory lap. In 1970, he achieved celebrity status when he appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He was only 19. Considered an underdog, he began training for the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich. He set the American record of 13 minutes and 22 seconds in the 5,000 meters at the 1972 Olympic trials in Eugene on July 9th. Steve came in fourth in Munich in September. He ran out of steam with only 10 meters to go. Steve said that that loss was the most disappointed I have ever been. He said he had underestimated the strength of his opponents. They were way too good for me in the end. I felt exhausted chasing them all the way. He returned to university and upped his training to 10 miles every morning. He finished college and began training for the 1976 Montreal Olympics. In 1975, a group of traveling Finnish runners were in Eugene for an NCAA prep meet that Steve won. Steve invited the Finnish team and his teammates to an after party. Around midnight, Steve left the party and dropped off a friend. Then he descended the narrow skyline boulevard. In an extended right curve at the base of the road, his gold MG convertible crossed the center line and jumped the curb. The car flipped and trapped Steve beneath it. He died at the scene. His blood alcohol content was over the legal limit in Oregon. According to the New York Times article from May 31, 1975, Steve was the third in a string of deaths of American track athletes in less than a week. Pre's Rock is a memorial at the site of his fatal accident. Steve's image and these words are engraved on the stone. For your dedication and loyalty to your principles and beliefs, for your love, warmth, and friendship, for your family and friends, you are missed by so many and you will never be forgotten. The site has become a grassroots shrine and a pilgrimage for athletes and non-athletes around the world. He was Huck Finn and Spikes He enjoyed communicating with his fans. He was outspoken and rugged, a product of growing up in Oregon logging country. People say I should be running for a gold medal for the old red, white, and blue. But all that bull, it's not going to be that way, he said while preparing to open a pub in Eugene, in addition to his other job as a representative for a foreign shoe manufacturer. I'm the only one who has made all the sacrifices, Those are my American records, not the country's. At a time when track and field was viewed as a maze of statistics, Steve saw it as an art form. Steve said, I'm not afraid of losing, but if I do, I want it to be a good race. I'm an artist, a performer. I want people to appreciate the way I run. His life inspired three films, Prefontaine in 1997, starring Jared Leto, Without Limits in 1998, starring Billy Crudup, and a documentary, Fire on the Track. Nike headquarters named a building after him. Senator Mark Hatfield spoke of their hometown hero. It is tragic when any young person dies and the potential for full productive life is snuffed out. Steve Prefontaine was an Oregon Tiger in the finest tradition. Fiercely competitive, confident, and outgoing, he was 24. Do you believe in curses? It has been reported that 18 athletes who competed at the 2012 Summer Olympics in London have died. Is this typical? When we look at the facts, 10,568 people participated in the London Summer Olympics. According to Rob Mastro Domenico, a sports statistician at Global Sports Statistics, the crude mortality rate is 7.89 people per thousand. From this group, we could expect 333 to die over a four-year period. But aren't Olympic athletes young and in superior condition? When we take this into account, the mortality rate drops to seven deaths in four years. Were the London Olympics cursed? It's unlikely. I want to explore another facet of this curse, suicides among professional athletes. Suicide rates in the U.S. have jumped. According to a CBS News article, suicide rates have risen in recent years, increasing 21% from 2000 to 2012 for Americans at least 16 years of age. Perhaps the curse is the epidemic of pressure that leads to tragic early death. Making it to the Olympics is a monumental achievement. Is it worth sacrificing your happiness and life for a chance to earn a medal? Olympic cyclist Kelly Catlin was a triplet. Born the smallest of her siblings, she surprised everyone with her athletic abilities and academic prowess. She was an equestrian, played the violin, and had undergraduate degrees in Chinese and mathematics. She was pursuing a graduate degree at Stanford in computational and mathematical engineering. In an article she wrote for cycling magazine, Velo News, Kelly said, It's most difficult when you have to take a three-hour final exam the moment you step out of the final round of a team pursuit. Being a graduate student, Track cyclist and professional road cyclist can instead feel like I need to time travel to get everything done and things still slip through the cracks. This is probably the point when you expect me to say something cliche like time management is everything or perhaps you're expecting a nice encouraging slogan like being a student only makes me a better athlete. After all, I somehow make everything work, right? Sure. Yeah. That's somewhat accurate, but the truth is that most of the time, I don't make everything work. At the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio, she and her team earned a silver medal. They went on to win three consecutive championships through 2018. She experienced two serious crashes that left her with a broken arm and a concussion. Her family reported that Kelly awoke with no memory of her head injury and that she seemed changed by it. They said they were aware of her headaches but had no knowledge of her silent battles with obsessive thoughts and nightmares. January 2019, Kelly attempted suicide, which left her with lung and heart issues. Her sister Christine said she had carefully planned it out and had an email she wrote before that she had scheduled for hours after she was already dead. We got it and thought it was a joke for a minute. Then we call the police. Kelly withdrew from a 2019 international championship meet after her coaches and family persuaded her to rest. Her brother Colin stated that Kelly hated that she had failed at her attempt to end her life. She fell into a deep depression. Two months later, she succeeded. March 7, 2019, she was discovered dead in her Stanford dorm room by her roommate. There were no signs of foul play. Her coach, Stephen McGregor, said that Kelly was exceptional in every aspect of her life. Her family donated her brain to the Concussion Legacy Foundation Brain Bank in Boston University to aid in scientific research. In an interview with the same magazine, Kelly's father, Mark, said, There isn't a minute that goes by that we don't think of her and think of the wonderful life she could have lived. There isn't a second in which we wouldn't freely give our lives in exchange for hers. The hurt is unbelievable. A month before Kelly ended her life, she wrote, The greatest strength you will ever develop is the ability to recognize your own weaknesses and to learn to ask for help when you need it. Let Kelly's story remind us how important it is to check on our fellow humans. My friends, there is no prize for suffering. Help is out there. No one can do it all and no one should be expected to. A happy heart is the gold medal we award to ourselves. I have one more story to share. Today is September 11th and the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks that left a big ugly scar on our nation. From the worst of times, heroes emerge. Mark Bingham was the founder of Bingham Incorporated, a public relations firm and a champion rugby player. At six foot four and 225 pounds, he belonged to the San Francisco Fog, a rugby union team. He had recently opened a satellite office in New York City. He was in talks with a fellow rugby player on founding a New York-based rugby team he called Gotham Knights. Their plans were interrupted by the events of September 11, 2001. Mark was a passenger on United Airlines Flight 93. He had overslept and almost missed his flight. He was bound for San Francisco to be an usher at his friend's wedding. He ran to gate 17, the last passenger to board. He found his seat and phoned his friend. Thanks for driving to get me. I'm sitting in first class drinking a glass of orange juice. American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the World Trade Center North Tower at 8.46 a.m. At 9.03 a.m., United Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower. At 9.25, United 93 marks flight was over Eastern Ohio when pilots made a distress call. Beware of cockpit intrusion. Bingham and other passengers were herded to the back of the plane by terrorists who had taken over the plane and announced they had a bomb. The plane changed course for Washington, D.C. Bingham, along with Todd Beamer, Tom Burnett and Jeremy Glick hatched a plan to take back the plane from the hijackers. With cell phones, the group relayed their plans to loved ones. Mark left a message for his mother This is Mark. I love you. He finally reached his aunt in California. This is Mark. I want to let you guys know that I love you in case I don't see you again. I'm on United Airlines Flight 93, it's being hijacked. After his mother saw the news, she called Mark back and left two messages. Mark, this is your mom. The news is that it's been hijacked by terrorists. They're planning to probably use the plane as a target to hit some site on the ground. I would say go ahead and do everything you can to overpower them because they are hell-bent. Try to call me back if you can. The men were tall and well-built. Several other passengers made the choice to join the group and fight back. According to the 9-11 commission report, the cockpit data recorder revealed sounds of crashing and pounding and shouts in English, Let's get them! The control wheel was turned hard to the right, which caused the plane to roll on its back and plow into an empty field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The plane was 20 minutes away from D.C., where it was targeted to be shot down. Bingham's partner, Paul Holm, described him as a brave and competitive person. He hated to lose anything. A friend said Bingham once fought off a mugger with an armed gun. Mark knew how to use his size and would get into situations without thinking about it, which used to amuse us and scare us. I think he knew he was not anyone's idea of a typical gay man. Gotham Knights were born in the wake of the attacks. From their website, The inspiration of Mark's life, work, and dedication to the sport of rugby led Scott and other New York City rugby players to meet in late 2001 and establish the Gotham Knights RFC. The Bingham Cup was first held in 2002 in Mark's memory. The first tournament was held in 2002 by Mark's club, San Francisco Fog. Today, the event has grown to be the world's largest amateur rugby tournament with 74 teams and hundreds of players competing worldwide. At a memorial on September 17th, late Senator John McCain spoke in San Francisco. I never knew Mark Bingham, but I wish I had. I know he was a good son and a friend, a good rugby player, a good American, and an extraordinary human being. He supported me, and his support now ranks among the greatest honors of my life. I wish I had known before September 11th just how great an honor his trust in me was. I wish I could have thanked him for it more profusely than time and circumstances allowed. But I know it now, and I thank him with the only means I possess, by being as good as an American as he was. Mark Bingham was 31. I'm your host, Sarah Faith as always, thank you for the support. Do you have something to share? I would love to read your comments on a future episode. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Vocal. I'll post the links in the show notes. Thank you for joining me for this special episode of The Last Word. I hope you will remember to live each day to the fullest.